Good morning. All right. Welcome. Glad you're here with us this morning. I want to continue in a series we've started a few weeks ago through the book of Mark. 16 chapters, 16 weeks. We're looking at at least highlights from each chapter once a week. I probably can't thoroughly address everything in a chapter, but we're at least looking at one chapter a week and trying to find what God might want to say to us through these chapters of God's Word. And today we're in Mark chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, turn to Mark 5. You can also find a Bible, hopefully, in the seat there in front of you if you wish, or you can follow along on the screen. But as we begin, can I just start with a word of prayer? Lord God, as we look at your holy word, would you speak to us today? Help us, Father, to have ears to hear and, and eyes to see and hearts to receive whatever you would want for us today. Allow your word to not just be something we look at as information, but as something we think about application and um, something that uh, you allow us to grow through and that you would do inside of us in a powerful way. So Lord, as we kind of uh, just dig into your word, I pray that, that uh, it would speak to us and that you would reveal to us what you want and help us to be quick to obey and follow anything that you would lay before us. And we pray in Jesus' name and all God's children said, amen. amen. All right. Mark chapter 5. Let me just begin. There are actually two stories. And we're going to look at the first story. And then if I run out of time, we'll just go through the second story real quick. But hopefully we can look at both stories pretty well. They do have some um, similarities, but pretty distinct stories. The first one is this. Verse 1. Let me just read it for you. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of Jesus. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Hmm. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. 
Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. All right, we'll pause there. And again, there's another story we'll hopefully get to as well. But pretty crazy story, isn't it? Crazy story, crazy situation, kind of a crazy man. Well, actually not crazy. He was demon-possessed, Scripture says. Now, I'll tell you this. I don't know everything there is to know or understand everything there is to understand about demon possession. But a couple of things about that part of the story jump out at me first that I think are noteworthy, that we need to think about. First of all, I read this story, and I think, wait a minute, does that not, does that not to some degree kind of contradict what we see in John 3.16 and in other verses like that in Scripture? Remember that, the most famous verse in all the Bible probably, when Jesus said, you know, that that uh, whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Remember, you know, for God so loved the world that whosoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. So, but that doesn't seem to match this story because, look at it, because these, this man with the demons inside of him, these demons believed in Jesus. Do you see that? They clearly recognized who he was. How'd it go? Verse 6, when, he saw, when the demon-possessed man saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? He acknowledged. He believed. But was he saved? Obviously not. James, the brother of Jesus, you know, the author of the book of James, made very clearly that even demons believe and shudder, clearly demons are not saved. So what is it? Is it that believing, as Jesus talked about in John 3.16, is what it takes to be saved, or is, there, is, is that not true? Is there something missing here? Well, the key is to not have any one-verse theology, to not stand on John 3.16 or any, any other individual verse and build your whole theology around a verse. You have to look at God's Word as a whole, in context. If you take out the text, then all you're left with is a con. You have to understand the truth of all of God's Word, putting it together. And the truth is, when Jesus said what He did in John 3.16, He's right on. Of course, He meant what He said. Whosoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. But when he said believe, he doesn't just mean have an intellectual acknowledgement of his existence. Demons do that. He means more than that. He means a belief that leads to surrender. A belief that leads to trust and to love. When he was asked what the greatest commandment in all of Scripture is, he said what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That means believe in him, but it means more than just believe he exists. It means surrender to him. And we need to understand what he means when he says this kind of thing. Because as he said in, in uh, Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now that verse could easily be taken out of context as well. So, pastor, what I hear you saying is that it's a works-based religion. That it's, you know, if you quote that verse, then it's, it's what you do for the Lord. But that's not true either because you have to look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9 that tells us it is not by works that we are saved. It's not what we do. We are saved by grace through faith in Him. 
But if we are saved by, if we are saved, we are saved not by good works, we are saved for good works. We are saved to make sure that we live life in a way that honors Him. And I think we just need to understand that because a lot of people get confused about that. And they, you know, I've done so many funerals for people that when I ask, I didn't know your loved one, um, you know, whoever it may be. And I'll ask them, so tell me a little bit about them. Well, first of all, Pastor, you need to know they believed in the Lord. And, of course, I don't ever want to rub salt in the wound, so I don't ever question those moments. But, but what I try to decipher is to understand, do they mean that they were a follower of Jesus, or do they mean they just believed in his existence? Because even demons do that. There's a difference. And we need to, today, as we sit here in a church building, on a Sunday morning at a church service, we need to make sure that we are committed to following the Lord, not just believing in His existence, but trusting in Him with our whole heart, with all we've got. And that's what I want to encourage all of us to be challenged to think about and to do in this moment. You know, notice, as I was looking at this story, the demon recognized immediately that Jesus was truly in control. In fact, the Bible shows us four things that he did in submission to Jesus. First of all, remember, if you look at it again, he kneeled. He then asked. In fact, thirdly, he begged Jesus. And then finally, he obeyed, or they, the demons, obeyed. So all of those words show that the demons submitted to Jesus. So another kind of similar but separate point that is so cool that I got fired up about as I was thinking about it this week is that this again illustrates what Rob and I talked about two weeks ago when we were up here when we were looking at Mark chapter 3, to dispel the idea that sometimes, you know, there's like a little demon on one shoulder and a, and I don't know, an angel or the voice of God on the other shoulder, and it's kind of like this, you know, this battle of equally matched foes that are kind of warring in our soul or whatever. That's not true. Cartoons show you things like that. But the truth is, our God is infinitely stronger than anything our enemy can throw his way infinitely stronger. There is no doubt about that. And as evidenced by this demon, or this legion of demons, submitting to the Lord Jesus. They saw who he was, and they kneeled, they begged, they obeyed, because they know the truth, that is, that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And there is no need for us to ever, therefore, be afraid of what our enemy might throw our way. Never do we have to fear our enemy as long as we stand with Jesus when we come before the enemy. Now, if we're on our own, well, then all bets are off. You, you're in trouble. If you go and face the devil or any of his minions on your own, in your own strength, you're in trouble. But if you stand with Jesus, if you're walking with him, you have nothing, nothing to fear. A few years ago, there was a... Um, a couple, that they've moved since then, but they were visiting with us for a while. They just lived here a short time. They moved to California. And, uh, but they had some strange stuff happening in their home. And they asked me one day, hey, Scott, uh, what do you think about demon possession? Or what do you think about a haunted house? And I'm like, I don't know. What do you mean? What are you talking about? Well, we think our, ha our house is haunted. I'm like, okay, I, I don't know a whole lot about that. Well, would you come over? Sure. So I came over, and we sat there together, and they told me some crazy stuff, some crazy stories about, you know, windows opening by themselves or shutting or, or, or drawers, dresser drawers opening, um, stuff like that, things that the wind cannot do. And, um, 
sheets being pulled off of them in the middle of the night, things like that. And I thought, wow, that's crazy. They said it freaks you out a little bit, doesn't it? And I said, well, not really. What do you mean, not really? And I said, because I'm not afraid of that. I don't fully understand, and I cannot explain to you everything that's happening. I don't know. I'm not an expert in those kind of things. But I'll tell you this, again, as, jo- as God tells us in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And we don't have anything to fear when we come before uh, up against evil as long as we do so in the name of Jesus. With the Lord on our side, there is nothing to fear. And that, that was what I tried to tell him. So we prayed together. And without fear, I just, I just did what God tells us to do. And that is in James to resist the devil, knowing that then he will flee from us. So we just said, Lord, God, I don't know what's going on here, but would you banish whatever it is that's happening? And, and in the name of Jesus, Lord, would you rule and be in charge of this family, this home? So I tried to tell them. They wanted to study these uh, things about the occult and stuff. And I said, I don't think you need to do that. I think you need to just study the word of God and draw nearer to him. Come near to God and he will come near to you. And where there is light, there is no place for darkness and the darkness will flee. So don't have to worry about studying all the things of the occult and seances and all. Don't have to do any of that. Just ignore that stuff and draw near to the Lord. And what do you know? They came back a week later and said, you know what? Nothing weird has happened all week long. I said, just keep walking with the Lord. Keep walking with the Lord. Having confidence in who the Lord is. Be like David uh, when he faced Goliath. You remember that story? In uh, 1 Samuel 17, when David said to the Philistine, the nine-foot-plus giant standing before him, he said, Goliath, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin, not to mention bad breath and all the other intimidating things that I'm sure he had. But he said, but I, and he wasn't joking around though, he said, but I come at you in the name of the Lord Almighty and the, the God of the armies of Israel. And because of who was with David, David did not have anything to fear. And he ran to the battle, the Bible tells us. I love that part of the story. He wasn't afraid. We don't need to be afraid either if we come before our enemy with Jesus with us. Now, we need to make sure that we're sold out, that we're wholehearted, that we're not halfway with any of our stuff, that we're not holding back. David also said later, if I had any cherished sin in my heart, God would not have listened. It's important that we make sure that we are committed to the Lord sold out to him. But when we are, when we're walking with him, we have nothing to fear. All right, moving on through this story. Verse 12, 13, some would ask, why why did Jesus, why why did he send these demons away? Why not just destroy them? What's a fair question. Why, why, Why did he let them continue? Well, look at Matthew 25. The Bible says, then he, Jesus, he, God, will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his enemies. That's prophecy about what will happen someday. There is a place being prepared for the devil and his angels. It is called hell. It is a real place. And in the perfect time, when things are, when the situation calls for it, from God's perspective, he knows what is best, that will happen. But it wasn't time at this point. It's not time right now. So God allows these things to happen, allows evil in our world, which again causes a lot of people to go, why does God do that? I probably hear from people who are struggling with their faith or maybe skeptical about faith. I hear the question, why does God allow evil or why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? 
similar. I hear that question or those questions more than anything else from people struggling with their faith. And I'll tell you, I don't have perfect answers, but I could preach the rest of our time about that. I won't do that. But if you have questions about that, come talk to me or one of the elders. We would love to give you some perspective on that. But I'll tell you this much. The fact that I sometimes don't understand God's ways does not necessarily lead to a problem. It leads to two options. One is that I can view what I believe about God through the glasses of what I do not understand and therefore come to a place of abandoning my conviction or my faith, refusing to believe that God is love, as God's Word tells us, when I don't see it in the moment or when things are not working out the way I think they should. I can choose to ignore the fact that He promises He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds and say, yeah, well, I don't see it right here, right now, so therefore I don't believe it. Because I'm looking at the world through the glasses of what I don't understand. That's an option. Or the much better option would be to judge what I don't understand about God through the glasses of what I believe in faith and what I have seen, and what I do understand. I can choose to trust that He is love even when I don't see His love in action in the moment. I can believe that His ways are higher than my ways, and that His thoughts are higher than my thoughts, as He tells us in Isaiah 55. And that even though I don't understand everything, I can trust Him with everything. And that when He tells us things like this in Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good for those that are called according to for those who love him and are called according to his purpose i can choose to believe that by looking at all the ways i have seen him work and all the good that he has done and say i i'm going to choose to trust in the areas i don't understand t- let me tell you this those how many of you are how many of you have military background maybe not even firsthand but maybe a spouse or a family member your dad your uncle a lot of us, most of us have some kind of military connection. If so, you probably can understand this pretty clearly. You know, in war, the worst thing a soldier can do is to refuse a command simply because he does not understand it. If he does that, or she does that, people die. You don't say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, commander, I I need to understand why you want me to do that before I do it. Can't do that. And in the same way, we need to understand that we're waging a spiritual war. Ephesians chapter 6 makes that clear, in which obedience to our king is vital. And when we in faith learn or choose to trust and obey his word and his grace, we do indeed find his peace and his grace, even in the middle of storms and difficulties that we cannot always understand. I do not have to fully understand God to fully trust him, and neither do you. We need to learn to live in the world but not be of the world. You know, another reason that maybe Jesus might have allowed things to go the way they did that day, you know, with casting the the demons into the pigs and the pigs running into the water and drowning and all of that, maybe was partly because it revealed what demons are all about. You know, graphically showing that they are all about death and destruction, as Jesus talked about in John 10. You know, that, that they are all about stealing, killing, and destroying Maybe that was part of why he allowed things to go that way that day. You know, but sending the demons into the pigs revealed their true nature, the demon's nature, to to destroy. 
But did you notice in the story, the response by the humans there that day revealed a lot about them as well. Verse 13, if you're still there looking at it, uh, verse 13 shows that some people upset about great loss of life, and I mean of the pigs, they were frustrated by that. They were confused. They were even upset. Why did Jesus allow that? Doesn't he care about animals? Does he realize how much those animals cost? Doesn't life, you know, of all kind, including that of an animal, doesn't that matter? Well, that's a little bit of a side point, but let me, let me address something that I see as a growing issue in our world today. I'm not picking on anybody, but let me just tell you what I see. I, I would say if, if you kind of had that reaction, like, yeah, that's a Boy, it's a horrible tragedy. Why would Jesus allow all these pigs to die like that? I would ask you, why are you so focused on the animals? Why would we focus on animals who have no soul over the human whose soul is in jeopardy? Now, I'm not, please don't, don't think, don't jump to conclusions. I'm not saying that it's wrong to love your pet or to, lo- or to love other animals. That's not a problem at all. But I want you to understand this. Animals are not going to be in hell. There's nothing in Scripture that teaches that I can see that shows anything about an animal going to hell because it failed to give its life to the Lord or accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Animals don't have that opportunity. They, they, they don't have that ability. They cannot accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, nor can they reject Him and therefore be punished for that. Now, so that, what that tells me is they're not going to be in hell. Is it possible they may be in heaven? Maybe. Maybe. We've had that, I've had that conversation with a number of people who are heartbroken about an, a pet that has passed away. Maybe they will be in heaven because God loves you so much. But the animal will not be in heaven because it repented of sin and gave its life to the Lord. Okay, we've got to understand that. And the point, therefore, is that animals will not be in hell either. So the, the application to that in my mind is we need to be really careful to not care so much about animals that we don't have time for the humans in our life who do have a soul, who are in danger of going to hell if they do not know the Lord. It's not going to happen to your animal, but it will happen to some of the people, many of the people around you. There's nothing wrong with loving a pet, but Jesus cares infinitely more about the soul of all humankind than he does about any animal, and we should too. A telling quote I heard from somebody else who talked about this one time, I heard it on Uh, in a sermon. He said, a sign to watch for with a nation that begins to turn its back on the Lord is the tendency to do this, to practice the humanizing of animals and the dehumanizing of people. We need to be careful about such things. Verse 16 and 17, "Um, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Please, Jesus, leave. Just go away. Wow. Rather than rejoice and praise God and thank Jesus for changing or actually saving the soul of a person, they focused more on the animals, probably because of their own material value and you know, the loss of the monetary element and all that. But they begged Jesus to leave because of an earthly focus rather than a spiritual focus. I would tell you this. Sometimes the worst possible thing that can happen in our lives is for Jesus to say yes to one of our prayer requests. Sometimes. 
Sometimes that could be a terrible thing, depending on the way we are approaching prayer, depending on what we are asking for. Be careful what you ask for in prayer. I think we should always pray with great humility, trusting that Jesus always, always, somebody say always, always knows best. Always. Not most of the time. Always. Praying with humility as Jesus did before he went to the cross. You remember that scene as he hung on a cross? Maybe something like that. Actually, even before he went to the cross, you remember what he said? Father, I, I, please take this cup from me. I don't want to go to the cross in my human flesh. I don't want to do this. But what did he say? Not my will, but yours be done. He prayed. Jesus, who was deity, prayed with humility to his heavenly Father. Who are we to not pray with as much or much more, if possible, humility? Deferring to and trusting and saying, dear Lord, here's my request. Please take this or heal this or, or help me accomplish this or help me find this or whatever. The, the, the list can be, you name it. But Lord, whatever your will is, I trust you with that. Not my will, but yours be done. I think we need to all pray with great humility, trusting that again, as he said in Isaiah, his ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. And we need to trust him with such things. Understanding that he cannot explain to our finite little minds all that is to be understood in terms of why he does what he does. When he does what he does, he cannot explain that to our little finite mind any more than we can explain a nuclear reactor to a, to a toddler. And we need to trust him as the toddler trusts his mommy and daddy. Okay, I don't understand mommy and daddy, but okay, I'll do what you say. Unless you're a toddler like I was when I was a kid and I still didn't, that didn't work. But anyway, hopefully we all can be that way. Verse 18 through 20, the man begged to go with Jesus. He wanted desperately to go with Jesus, but Jesus told him, no, no, you can't come with me. Wow, why is that? No, I want you to go home and tell others in the Decapolis, which is an area of the ten cities on the, on the uh, southern part of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus, according to Scripture, was not there often, but uh, periodically he was there. Let me show you something really cool. Um, he told him no, which seems kind of weird, like why would he not allow this man to come with him? But he told him, because I want you to go home and tell others. I want you to be a witness for me in the Decapolis. Because I'm leaving. I'm going back to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. You do your part. Well, what's really cool in my mind as I read that story is the guy, I'm sure, was disappointed. Right? Of course. So we can see that. He's disappointed. And yet, as you and I need to learn from him, even though he was disappointed, he obeyed. And he did what God asked him to do. What Jesus asked him to do. Apparently he did because, look at Mark chapter 7. We'll get to this in a couple of weeks, but let me show you on the screen, I think. Mark 7, verse 31 says, Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. So he's returning to the place that we're looking at right now. Then some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on the man. Now, why would they come running to Jesus, at bringing somebody in need to Jesus, if, with the understanding that Jesus was not there? He wasn't, hadn't been there recently. He had only been there back when the story that we're looking at happened. Why would they come running except unless 
this demon-possessed man in chapter 5 had done what Jesus told him to do. Apparently, he went and told people about Jesus. Let me tell you what this guy did. I had this legion of demons in me, and Jesus cast them out, and the pigs, and all this happened, and here I am today. And that's why people came and said, wow, if Jesus can do that then, maybe he now can address this situation that we're aware of. And they came. And so who knows what God might do through your witness, through my witness. I hope as we see this, we can be challenged to say, Lord, sometimes you call me to things I don't want to do. I don't like that, or I, I want that instead. But Lord, help me to trust you and obey you because in the end, it may take a couple of chapters, but in the end, your way is going to always prove to be right. What a beautiful thing. I think that's just an awesome thought. Don't fall prey to the lie that God can't help others through you, that you don't know enough, that your story isn't interesting enough. That's not true. God can use you. Those of you who have neighbors and friends who don't know Jesus, that neighbor or friend or family member or whoever is much more likely to listen to you than they are me because they know you. You have a rapport with them. And I just want to encourage you to be encouraged by this. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to fly through the second story. I knew that might happen. So here's, here's the, the summary of the second story. I won't read it for you. I encourage you maybe with, think of it as homework. Go home and read this on your own. Second story, I preached about it before, is a story about when Jesus is going to, uh, well, he's walking along the path, and somebody comes and tells him that uh, um, Jairus, a, a, a synagogue leader, has a daughter who is, who is gravely ill and needs to be healed. And, and this man, Jairus, comes and, and asks Jesus to come with him, and Jesus says, okay. So they start going, and he's going to go, which, by the way, is interesting, because in another time, a guy came and needed, heal, needed somebody healed, and, and Jesus and the, and the guy just said, name it. Just, you just say the word, Jesus, and I know it'll happen. And Jesus did that. Jairus didn't do that. Maybe he didn't have the same level of faith. I don't know. But anyway, I think that's an interesting point, too. But Jesus just did what he said, and he went with him, started going. But then he gets interrupted. A lady, a woman, who some might think of as a less than, because she has a bleeding issue of some kind. The Bible doesn't say what it is, but she's been bleeding for 12 years. That's a long time. She's seen all kinds of doctors. She's spent all of her money. She's probably spent all kinds of time thinking about it, agonizing over it. She comes to him and in faith decides, all right, I know it's taboo. I know I'm supposed to stay far away because I'm unclean. I'm not even allowed to go to church. I'm not allowed to hang out with most of these people. But I'm going to find a way to squeeze through the crowd and hopefully get up close enough that I can touch just the hem of his garment. If I can just touch him, I believe in faith that, that he's going to heal me. I don't understand how, but I just believe he is. And she did that. And Jesus called her out on it. And he said, who touched me? Not that he didn't really know, but that, but that I think for the sake of all those standing around, he wanted to draw attention to what was happening and help people see what, what lessons could be learned from this. And he, he then went on to engage her and talk with her about this story, about this situation. And he said to her, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. She didn't understand everything. But I want you to understand two things about this story before we close. One is that there are no nobodies in God's kingdom. Everybody is somebody. It's easy to look at that story, for, or at least some people could look at that story and go, Jairus was an important somebody. He's a synagogue leader. He's a male. 
He's important. He's a lot of things that she was not. She was more of an insignificant nobody. She's kind of an outcast. She's got this bleeding disorder. She's got all kinds of problems. Again, she's just a female. She's not even a leader as far as we understand. And yet Jesus stopped in his tracks with the VIP and he addressed and worked with and healed the person that some would say was unimportant, dispelling the notion that she was unimportant. She was incredibly important. Everybody is a somebody to Jesus. You and I and all of us are tempted at times to hear from our enemy, you know, uh, Jesus cares about that person or that person or people in this or that place or country, but you, eh, he doesn't have time for you. How many times have you come to him and asked about the same thing? How many times have you struggled with that same temptation or issue? Don't you think he's tired of you? Wouldn't you be tired of you? Well, maybe, but God's not like you and I. He doesn't get to that point. He does not choose to to look at you the way that we would choose to look at ourselves he loves you more than you can understand and when he says come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and i will give you rest he says that to all of us not just the quote from a human perspective vips everybody don't ever forget that you matter to god so much more than you can begin to comprehend so much more that's one. The other point to understand in this um, would, be, would be simply that she, kind of like the man that was healed in the first story, she went public with her faith. When Jesus told that guy who wanted to come with him, and he said, no, I want you to go and witness to those in your area, um, in a similar way, he called her out. When he said, who touched me? He did that for a purpose so that it would be revealed. What, what was covered up would be uncovered. Her hiding was no longer an option. And she had to just admit. And what did the Bible say? What did she do? Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. It's not like she was all confident. Okay, I'm good to go. She was scared to death, but she did the right thing. And she told him the whole truth, the Bible says. Not that he didn't already know it, but she made it clear for everybody. She went public with all that she had to say. And I want to encourage you as the band comes out this morning and as we get ready to close in a worship moment in music, surrendering and honoring him, as we do that, I want you to understand that God wants you to also come clean and uncover whatever you might be holding back. As people in CR would tell, Celebrate Recovery would tell you, we're only as sick as our secrets. And we need to be honest and real and understand or trust that when we uncover stuff, when we come clean and let it just come into the light, what we uncover, God covers. Oh, I love that. What we uncover, God covers. And God loves us so much. So I want to give you an opportunity this morning. Would you stand with me? Would you stand with me? And I want to give all of us an opportunity to respond to what we see in Mark chapter 5 today. I think there are two challenges one is the opportunity, like this lady, to come clean, to just lay bare, to open up and just say, hey, I'm struggling with, you name it, and maybe to pray with somebody. Maybe it's somebody right beside you that you say, will you come with me, and will you come up here and 
pray with me, kneel with me. Maybe it's right where you're at, but maybe you come up here and pray with, you know, whether it be an elder and his wife or, 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 or somebody else that you see that you trust and love and just say, will you pray with me? Because I want to just let go of hiding. I want to just be real about what it is and trust the Lord with my whole heart, not hold back. Maybe that's what you need to hear today. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Or maybe you need to be challenged to go public with your faith. Like this guy in the first story or like this girl in the second story. You need to quit hiding in the shadows and holding back. You need to just say, Jesus touched me. That's who touched me. Let me tell you about him. I don't have all the answers, but I once was blind, but now I see. I can't answer all your questions about whatever the topic may be, but let me tell you about how he's changed my life. Don't hold back. Look for a way and say, dear God, give me boldness to speak your truth. Give me opportunity to speak your truth. Maybe that needs to be your prayer today. Let's sing. Let's worship. Let me lead us in prayer, and then we're going to worship him. And if you feel God calling you to do so, you come forward today. Let's pray. Lord God, as we worship you, as we sing to you this morning, Lord, would you help us, each one, to recognize that what we uncover, you will cover. Lord, help us to trust you in this. Help us to bring our insecurities and struggles to you and know that you will take them and rid us of them. But more importantly, Lord, help us to go public with you, with all that we have for you and worship you and honor you. And we sing hallelujah to you as we do this together this morning and all God's people together said,